In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. We are now four weeks into our six-week sermon series on Revelation. In the introduction to this series, Chris told us that the book of Revelation can be summed up in two words, God wins. I think it's important for us to keep that in mind as we work our way towards the end of this letter. If you were a Christian brought in during the Domitian persecution, your options were to deny that you were a Christian and worship the emperor, or proclaim your faith in Jesus and be imprisoned or killed. John, who is in essence pastoring the seven churches that are named at the beginning of this letter, is basically telling them things are hard because the powers of this world are not aligned with God's will. So those who are faithful to God will struggle and be persecuted. But hold fast in your faith because current evidence to the contrary, Rome loses and God wins. God's ultimate will will not be thwarted. While it may appear that evil has the upper hand, evil has in fact already been defeated. And this reality will be made manifest in God's way and in God's time. As we've noted, none of what John writes is meant to be a prediction of future events. It is a visual metaphor for the very real destruction and persecution that is happening in his time. In a nutshell, here's the image that John has created for us thus far. From the throne of the Lamb in heaven, seven seals are opened, setting in motion various natural disasters. Angels then sound seven trumpets, which inaugurate another round of trials on earth. The dragon, symbolizing Satan, is cast down from heaven. The beast, also known as Babylon and symbolizing Rome, has dominion over the land and is persecuting those faithful to God and Jesus. A third round of seven plagues is unleashed, followed by a pouring out of the seven bowls of God's wrath, whereby he seeks the repentance of those who have turned from God and his ways. The angels of heaven slay the beast, carrying out God's judgment. There is a chorus of celebration and singing in heaven and praise of God. Then Jesus, together with the martyrs, reign over the world, and Satan is thrown into a lake of fire. The book of life is opened, and death itself is thrown into the lake of fire. All of that brings us to our passage for today. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. It's important that we have that prior sense of drama and struggle and battle so that we can appreciate the peace and hope of this vision. It wasn't easy, and it wasn't without pain and loss, but death and evil have been defeated. So what does today's passage tell us we can expect when the tribulations of life on earth are no more? Well, first, we are told that all things are made new. What makes all things new is the total absence of anything that is less than perfectly right and good and in accordance with God's will. 
John describes a new heaven and a new earth rather than a completely different something else or somewhere else totally disconnected from what has come before. So while there is newness, there is also continuity with what has been. It is the consummation of history, not the abandonment of history to start over with something entirely new. It is a picture of renewal instead of destruction. In spite of all of the less thans that have happened over the long arc of history, all that we've done and all that's been done to us, individually and corporately, despite all of this, God originally created it all very good. Here in Revelation, there is no denying that. God will make all things new not all new things. Second, God comes down to live with us. There's a common image in the church that earth is the place of pain and loss and death, and that our goal is to get out of here and get up to heaven where we will be spared from all of these things. But Revelation shows us a very different cosmology. We do not escape earth to get to heaven. No, just as he did in Jesus incarnationally, God comes down to us. God brings our eternal dwelling place to us. He moves in our direction versus us having to get to where he is. Further, when the new Jerusalem, our eternal home, comes down, the distinction between heaven and earth is lost. This image includes elements of earthliness and elements of heavenliness blurring one into the other. There is no way of separating the two. Before, earth was real, but it wasn't right. And heaven was right, but it wasn't fully real. Now we have a union that is both real and right. It is not us escaping earth to live with God in heaven. It is quite literally God inaugurating heaven on earth. Finally, this new Jerusalem is characterized by community. We will all be together, the saints and the heavenly host and Jesus and God. While the story of creation begins in a garden, it ends in a big city with an energized urban vibe. In Revelation, salvation is envisioned not as a return to Eden or a retreat to nature, but as a city teeming with people. God's will is not that we be spread out and disconnected in our own settings, but that we live right on top of one another, that we live intimately with one another and with God in ways that are only hinted at in our current existence. John tells us that all that has hindered and hurt us will be gone. And what will be left is life with God. This new life is brimming with relationships and all that is good about human community will be redeemed. Well, contrary to what we've generally heard about Revelation, this all sounds lovely. 
So do we have to just continue to wait just as all of the saints that went before us? I think Jesus, especially as revealed in the Gospel of John and Paul, would both say no. Jesus tells us that eternal life is available to us now. Yes, the current time is different than our ultimate home because the vestiges of the powers that work against God's will still fight on. But because we are assured of God's victory and God's caring presence in our lives, we can live today as if that victory has been fully realized. While we will still have pain and loss and death in our lives, we can so put our trust in God to ultimately redeem it all that we make our way through our days with hope and contentment and with eyes that look for God's goodness, for the inbreaking of His eternal will in all that we experience. And Paul, for his part, reminds us that each of us who have been baptized into Christ are a new creation. Not down the road at the consummation of all things, but right here and now. We are a foretaste of that new heaven and new earth. Because God is with us already in the proclamation of the gospel, in the Eucharist, in the Holy Spirit that animates the church, we are witnesses to that new city that is coming with our words and with our lives. So as we reach these final chapters of John's revelation, let us celebrate the promise of new life in God that jettisons nothing of who we've been and in fact promises its transformation and redemption. And let us, as new creations, hold that vision of the new Jerusalem before us as we build our lives and communities right here and now. Amen.